What are the interests of Christ? It's an important question for anybody who is desiring to follow the Lord. It's an important question for the church as a whole. When we as a church body have a a proper understanding of the interests of Christ, uh, and we have our hearts lined up with those interests of the Lord, then out of that flows a, a harmony in the church as we are loving the Lord and loving each other as we are following after his interests. Division quickly finds a place uh, within the church, within our lives, when our self-interests take the front seat, when our self-interests take control of our life. There comes envy, rivalry, people trying to afflict others, all because of trying to get something that they desire. It's, it's a disaster. Um, Paul describes some of this as he's experienced the receiving end of this affliction as men have been preaching the gospel with the purpose of specifically trying to hurt him in his ministry while he's in prison. And it's amazing that, that Paul rejoices as the truth of the gospel is being proclaimed, even as they're trying to hurt him. His perspective is remarkable. The Philippian church seems to be a healthy church, but even a healthy church has things to work on and areas of growth and holiness as the Lord is completing his work in us. The fact that God is completing his work in us means that there's still work yet to be done. There's some disagreements within the Philippian church, which is part of the reason why Paul writes this letter to them, giving them instruction of how to live in unity. We see in in chapter 4 that there's some disagreement between Eudia and Syntyche, and Paul entreats them to agree in the Lord. This is a, a call to unity, a unity of agreement that comes from having the mind of Christ, and having the interests of Christ. And so we're back at this question, uh, what are the interests of Christ? In in the passage this morning, uh, we're going to see the interests of Christ displayed, uh, that sinners should repent and believe the gospel, and in believing the gospel, we would be led to live a life of, of humble service, even when doing The right thing hurts. And Paul is going to provide us with two examples of men who are living with the interests of Christ in mind. And they serve as an example and an encouragement to the Philippian church and to us. So turn, if you haven't yet, to Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 19 through 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. 
I've thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Lord, I ask that this morning you would open our eyes and our ears to your word, that we'd be encouraged by uh, your love for us, that we'd be encouraged by the finished work of Christ, and that we'd be compelled to uh, live lives of of humble service, even as uh, that can be uh, difficult and and even painful. So Lord, help us to to seek you this morning. I pray this in your name. Um, So Paul, he introduces to us Timothy, uh, a humble servant, It is in the interest of Christ that we would all be humble servants. There are several reasons that Paul desires to send Timothy to the Philippians. Before we address those things, I want to make sure that we don't skip over the first part of verse 19, which says, I hope in the Lord Jesus. That may seem like a a trite phrase, uh, but let's not overlook that. His hope is in the Lord. Even the simple hope of of sending Timothy, there is a recognition here that we make our plans, but it's the Lord who directs the future. We see a similar type of thinking just a few verses later in in 24, where Paul says, I trust in the Lord. Paul's hope and trust about the future is, is found in the Lord. And Where does your trust and hope in the future lie? And Paul, again, specifically says here, I I hope in the Lord and I trust in the Lord. I encourage you to have the same attitude. Um, Our hopes rest in Jesus. He he rose from the dead. That's that's powerful. Uh, He he has power over, over sin and death. Paul has an understanding of the sovereignty of God uh, that is a comfort to him, even as he's in prison. And Paul's hope and trust in the Lord, it doesn't lead him to be uh, passive in his approach to encourage the church, uh, and his approach to preach the gospel. There could be a temptation here to simply say, my hope's in the Lord, I'm going to trust in the Lord, and then to not do anything in life. That can be used as an excuse uh, for, for laziness. Uh, but this, this is not true with Paul. Uh, Paul's hope and trust in the Lord compels him and motivates him to action. Um, even now, while in prison, he's unable to go visit the Philippians. Uh, so he's, he's stuck in his situation, unable to do much. But he's planning to send Timothy and Epaphroditus, and he's writing this letter. And there's action along with his hope and trust. Allow your trust and hope in the Lord 
to motivate you to active obedience. And this is what Paul had, he had just encouraged the Philippians to do a few verses earlier. In verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as, if, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Part of being a humble servant of the Lord is that we willingly submit ourselves to uh, his teaching and submit ourselves to walk in obedience. So allow your trust and your hope in the Lord to motivate you to active obedience. A reason that Paul is sending Timothy is because he, he loves the Philippian church and he wants to hear from him. We had already seen Paul's affection uh, towards the Philippian church earlier on in, in, in the book. It's again evident here. He desires to hear good news from them, from them and this good news cheers his soul. Uh, but Paul's desire to give and, and send Timothy is not just because he loves the church and just because he wants to hear good news, uh, but because he knows that Timothy is going to genuinely care for them. He gives Timothy this incredible compliment. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. We can learn something here about uh, Paul's commendation of Timothy. Paul is eager to see godliness in, in those around him and to encourage them in their godliness. This is that's high praise uh, that he gives to Timothy. He, he, sp- he speaks well of Timothy to others. And I'm, I'm sure that there would have been some things that Paul could have criticized Timothy for. After all, Timothy is a sinner in need of grace. And we all have our things. But Paul sees the godliness in, in Timothy and commends it. I want to encourage you to look for and see godliness in others. Um, have an eye uh, for the church where you see people loving the Lord. Um, a heart of criticism is often attached to a, a prideful heart. There's, there's a time and place for criticism, and we should also be encouraging others in what is truly commendable. And so I want to offer this challenge again. We, we've talked about this before. Uh, I think it's a culture in, in the church that we should continue to grow and instill in us. Uh, and it's also good for our own hearts. And the challenge is this, to be looking for godliness in the lives of, of those in the church. And when you see it, encourage them as they're living for the Lord, being commendable. Um, encourage each other as you see godliness in, in, in each other's lives. And was, as we do this, we'll build each other up, spur each other on towards love and, and good deeds for the glory of God. So Paul commends Timothy, uh, who's a humble servant. And we have the same call to humble service. And Timothy is an example of this humble service for the church. Paul says there's no one like him and, then, and so what is it that makes him so special? 
So what is that godly characteristic that Paul sees in Timothy that he encourages and, and commends? And it's this. He is genuinely concerned about the welfare of other people. He's not caught up in his own interests, but he's caught up in the interests of Christ. So what does genuine concern for others look like? In verse 21, we see two specific descriptions. Genuine concern for others will not be self-seeking, and genuine concern for others is rooted in the interests of Christ. True love is not self-seeking, but instead true love seeks to give of oneself without expecting anything in return. True love simply gives out of a heart for the other person. And this is in contrast to what Paul has seen in these other men who are preaching the gospel trying to hurt him. Hear this again from, from chapter 1, verse 15 to 17. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. It's possible to do the right things for the wrong reasons. So what these men were doing was not in genuine love and care for, for people. They preached in order to gain something that they wanted. They were preaching out of selfish ambition. They had decided to do a, a good thing, preaching the gospel, but the purpose was a selfish motive. This is not an example of genuine care for the welfare of others. They were not preaching so that lost people who are in need of a Savior would, would hear the truth of the good news and respond to the gospel. Um, they weren't preaching to remind believers of the truth of the gospel, to encourage other believers. They were preaching to make a name for themselves. And thankfully, there were other men who did preach out of love, uh, out of a genuine concern uh, for people to hear the truth of the gospel. Um, and Timothy is a man who, who has this genuine love and concern for others. He's not seeking something for himself in his service. Uh, there's no strings attached. Um, he's humbly giving of himself in order to address the needs of others. And our natural inclination uh, is to do things for ourselves, uh, for our own personal gain, uh, our own personal interests. Uh, our own wants um, motivate our actions. Uh, our natural inclination is that we want to get something out of the giving that we give. Uh, I encourage you this morning to give and serve simply out of a, a genuine welfare, uh, being concerned for the genuine welfare of others as it flows out of your love for the Lord. Uh, not looking to receive anything of it, but, but wishing that others would receive. Uh, that, that's a Christ-like and, and humble service. Um, and Paul and Timothy, they, they had a, a special relationship 
like a father and son. There's a close kinship in their love for each other as they've served together in the gospel. Timothy has had a, a huge impact and was a major part of the ministry with Paul. Uh, and we see that they, they've met in, in Acts 16. Uh, Timothy's mom was a Jew. His, his dad was a Greek. We see that Timothy had a, a good reputation. Uh, he impresses Paul, and Paul wants to take Timothy along with him. And so Paul circumcises Timothy. Uh, this is part of Timothy's humble service and, and proven track record of desiring uh, to serve others and not allow anything to be a stumbling block. Verse 22, but you know Timothy's proven worth. But there's, there's more to Timothy's proven worth than just that. Uh, something incredible to see is how involved uh, Timothy was in ministry with Paul. So this isn't a, an exhaustive list, list but uh, l- listen to these, these verses. It shows how faithful and how involved Timothy was in the ministry with Paul. Romans 16.21 Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. He's he's with Paul. 1 Corinthians 4.17 That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in in every church. And 2 Corinthians 1.1 Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in, at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. And Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Colossians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. 1 Thessalonians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. 2 Thessalonians 1.1, 1, 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Philemon 1.1, 1, 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. And Paul also writes some letters to Timothy. Um, that's, that's a lot of letters that Paul writes, not only include Timothy, but are also addressed as being from him, along with, with Paul. Timothy was a, a faithful servant. Um, he brought news to different churches. He was sent by Paul uh, various times to, to teach and, and preach. And Timothy's worth was, was proven as he cared about the interests of, of Christ, uh, that people would hear the gospel proclaimed, repent and, and believe in Jesus. Part of what we need to see here this morning is that it's the gospel that unites Paul and Timothy together. In verse 22, But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. And this is the most important thing. The gospel what is it that unites us? There's all sorts of things in life that, that can unite people, that bring some sort of camaraderie, different hobbies, different interests, help build a relationship, camaraderie over sports, music, food. 
These things we can have fun with and laugh about, but those things pale in comparison to the gospel. They pale in comparison to having the same Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in common. True fellowship comes as we encourage each other in, in the gospel. If, if the gospel is not what unites us, then we're just another social club. There would be no difference between us meeting here on Sunday and, and some other social gathering if the gospel is missing. The church is a place where the people of God are to serve alongside each other for the work of the gospel, for the sake of building each other up in the truth, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to the world around us. And we can enjoy those other things in life, like our sports teams, go Liverpool, Uh, Our favorite hobby, Uh, those things aren't wrong. Uh, We have a deeper relationship with each other as we share our lives together with specifically the gospel in mind, building each other up in the truth. And this is what unites Paul and Timothy, the gospel. In fact, it it makes them family. Uh, Timothy is like a son to Paul. Paul has taken Timothy in and acts like a a spiritual father uh, to him. Uh, He he loves him and uh, and disciples him as they go about doing ministry. And Timothy is a a trustworthy man as Paul hopes to send him as soon as he hears about how things are going to go for him in prison. He's waiting to hear word about his sentence. Is he going to live? Is he going to die? What's going to happen? And Timothy will then travel after knowing what's going to happen to Paul. And and Paul has a positive view in mind that he'll be released as he believes that he will also be able to go visit the church shortly as well. Um, So it is in the interest of Christ that we would live humble lives, not driven by our own desires, but being genuinely concerned for the welfare of others, not expecting anything in return as we serve. Paul then changes the focus off of Timothy and places it upon Epaphroditus, a messenger and minister from the Philippian church who was sent to come help Paul. And Paul gives Epaphroditus five different titles in verse 25. He calls him brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, messenger and minister. And again, uh, Paul sees the gifts that God has given to Epaphroditus and and speaks highly of him. Uh, And we'll see more of that as we move forward. Uh, But for the moment here, let's focus for a moment on the fact that Paul calls Epaphroditus his brother. Uh, The fact that Paul views him as a brother is it a picture of how the gospel transforms our lives. Uh, if you have your Bible open, take, take a look at his name, Epaphroditus. Listen to me say that again. Epaphroditus. Do you notice anything about his name? He's named after the false god Aphrodite, uh, who, the, the Greek goddess of love and, and, and passion. Naming a child is a, is a big deal. Uh, 
Um, but Kenzie and I, as we were looking, trying to figure out the names of our kids, I felt pressure with that. This person's going to be called this for the rest of their life. <laughs> this is a big deal. What, what's, what's a name that we like? Uh, what's a name that uh, we can agree upon, that we like the, the, the meaning of? That's a big deal. And for this family, they decided to name their son after Aphrodite. It's a pagan family. Pagan parents, a pagan religion. But this is the power of the gospel. That even though he was named after a false god, his identity was in this false god. Because of the power of the gospel, he can be brother, no longer having identity in Aphrodite, but rather having identity in Christ. That's the story of redemption. To move from our life and our identity in, in what is false to what is true. And as we move to what is true through faith, by God's grace, we, we become family, we come into the family of God, we become fellow workers, we become fellow soldiers along with each other as we are fighting the good fight of faith. So we learn that Epaphroditus is a messenger from the church, is a minister to the needs of Paul. If you skip over to the end of Philippians, in chapter 4, verse 18, we see a little bit more about the details of what Epaphroditus was doing. It says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Epaphroditus uh, traveled from, Philipp- uh, from Philippi uh, in order to provide Paul with a financial gift, and provide him with supplies that would help him as he travels and, and in his ministry. Uh, so you... He was a well-thought-of leader. The church trusted him to, to take all these, these gifts to Paul. And, and part of the reason that Paul wants to send him back is because at some point along in the trip to deliver these supplies, or after he had finished the trip and was with Paul, he became extremely ill. And the Philippian church had heard about his, his illness. Both Paul and Epaphroditus are, are troubled and distressed by the fact that the church knows about his sickness, but they do not yet know that he's recovered. And this is why Paul finds it necessary to send him back to the church. Verse 26, For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. The church is concerned about their, their friend, their leader, who had made a, a dangerous trip to, to help Paul. Their concern for Epaphroditus, is, it's a sign of, of love for him. There's a, there's a healthy concern we should have for one another as we hear about troubles in each other's life. And this, this healthy concern and love will, will lead us to, to serve one another, to pray for one another, this is part of being the church. We, we share each other's burdens together in life. And thankfully, God was merciful to Epaphroditus and Paul as he was healed from, 
his serious illness. God was merciful in providing health. It's difficult to lose a, a, a friend that you love. He was merciful to Paul. Um, they, they received, and so he received health and, and life as they're now continuing in the work of the gospel together. Uh, verse 27, Indeed he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. This was a severe sickness, not a, not a simple cold. Um, it almost killed him. And Paul says in, in verse 30, For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service. This is an important statement from Paul about the illness. What Paul is saying is that this illness came upon him as he was working for the Lord. And that he even risked his own life for the work of the Lord. He had placed himself in danger in order that the, the work of the gospel would continue. Currently, we, we see Paul in prison for the sake of Christ. This is a type of suffering and a type of persecution that we generally think of. Paul preaches the gospel. People don't like it. Uh, he's beaten, thrown in prison. There's real suffering that, that Paul is experiencing here from the preaching of the gospel, suffering from the hands of men. Uh, and typically, when we think of persecution and suffering, it's from the hands of men that we, that we generally think about. And with Epaphroditus, uh, we see Paul implying that the suffering of the illness goes hand in hand with the fact that Epaphroditus was doing the work of the Lord. Uh, the suffering of his health came from his service to the Lord. His obedience actually led to sickness. Sometimes obedience and, and service leads to suffering. Not only persecution, but even has the potential to affect our health. Verse 29, So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service. What Epaphroditus did in risking his life was honorable. Paul tells the Philippian church to, to honor such men, to honor him. Why would risking health and life for the gospel be honorable? Why should the church honor such men? Because without believing the gospel, people will die in their sin. Paul's not suggesting that our physical lives aren't, aren't worth anything. Our physical lives are worth a lot. We value life. We even seek to preserve life. But our physical life will be in vain if, if we do not repent and, and believe in Jesus. It's honorable and, and loving for men like Epaphroditus to risk their lives and their health for the truth that the ministry would go forward. In Timothy, we see a humble servant. In Epaphroditus, we see a, a hurting servant. It's in the interest of Christ that we would humbly serve, even when it's difficult and even when, it's hurt, when it hurts. This is what Epaphroditus did to serve both the, the Philippians and Paul. The Philippians were unable to get the provisions to Paul. 
And so Epaphroditus put himself in, in harm's way in order to deliver the supplies, in order to complete what was lacking in, in the Philippians, in that they were unable to deliver the supplies to him. And Paul is thankful for the gifts, uh, desires that the Philippians would rejoice in receiving him back, receiving him and seeing him in full health. And all this service is done so that the gospel would be proclaimed because it is in the interest of Christ that we would hope in him and repent and, and believe in the gospel. This isn't an uh, exhaustive list of the interests of Christ. Um, we, there's a lot to say about the, uh, as, we, as we consider the interests of Christ, it would make sense for us to, to hear something from uh, one, of, one of the books that chronicles the life of Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Um, and something that I love about the, the book of Mark is that uh, Mark gets straight to the point. Uh, the, the first words that we see coming out of the mouth of Jesus in, in the Gospel of Mark are this in, in, one, in chapter 1, verse 15. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the interest of Christ, that sinners would repent and believe in him, that their sins would be washed away, that his righteousness, his righteous life would be applied to them, that eternal life would be given to his people. And all of this is possible because of the perfect and complete work of Jesus, who is a humble servant and a hurting servant uh, to the point of death. Uh, This is because of his love for sinners like you and me. Uh, The section we studied this morning, where Paul speaks of of Timothy and of Epaphroditus, lines up with the previous verses in in chapter 2 about the example of Christ. Paul provides us with these two examples of men who are living out the mind of of Christ. Jesus was perfectly humble as he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And Jesus did this as he was genuinely concerned about the welfare of, of mankind. Jesus gave him of himself in order that mankind would receive life. And Timothy is, is a small picture of what a humble servant looks like who lived a life emulating Jesus, a man who genuinely concerned about the welfare of others. And, and Jesus humbled himself in obedience to the point of death on the cross. The death of Christ is necessary for our salvation. For without it, there is no payment for sin. And Jesus willingly submitted himself and laid down his life for sinners. And Epaphroditus is a small picture of a hurting servant, a man who is willing to risk his life for the sake of the truth and the sake of the welfare of others. So Jesus, in Jesus, we have the perfect example of a humble and hurting servant who provides us with salvation. As we go on our way this morning, 
I hope that you find encouragement in, in the lives of, of Timothy and Epaphroditus, that they were men who sought to live a life following Christ. Are, are you living a life with the interests of Christ in mind? Are the interests of Christ what drives and motivates your heart? We all, we all struggle with this. Praise be to God for the fact that we have the finished work of Christ on our behalf. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for the humble service of Christ on our behalf. We're grateful that he willingly submitted himself to obedience to the point of death, the death on the cross, in order that the penalty for our sin would be taken away from us and applied to him and the gift of life would be applied to us as we receive the, the perfect righteousness of Christ, the perfect righteousness of his entire life applied to us. Lord, I ask that you'd help us in light of these truths of, of, the, of the good news of the gospel that we would have a heart for others that we, would, that we would be like Jesus, that we would humbly serve, that we wouldn't be seeking after our own interests, but that we'd be seeking after your interests, and that we would even humbly serve when it's, when it's difficult, even when it hurts. Lord, I ask that we'd be a church that, that pursues after you, that we would build each other up in the faith, that we would encourage each other as we see godliness in, in each other's lives, that we would continually point uh, uh, each other to you, build each other up in, in, in the truth of the gospel. And so, Lord, I, I thank you and I pray these things in your name. Amen.